Hello and welcome to the 131st episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Deluvion by Arachnid Games. Gentlemen, please introduce yourselves. Who are you and what do you do? Hi, I'm uh, Leo, and I'm the creative director at Arachnid Games. So oh. I did, um, like, the concept art for Deluvian and just, like, making sure the visuals are in sync and also some programming. Uh, hey, I'm Jacob Stove Lawrenson. I'm the technical director for Deluvian and at Directing Games. Uh, I was responsible pretty much for setting up uh, our whole pipeline, all the technical stuff and uh, the high-level architecture and most of the programming. Fantastic. So that's the first question over with. Well done. It's a bit like, <laughs> it's a bit like a video game. It gets more and more complex. There's no boss monster at the end, though. At least I don't think there is. Um, so my next question to you both, then, is how did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? Either one uh, start. Leo. Yeah, yeah, Leo usually starts. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. Well, uh, I could talk about it. Personally, I got my start um, about uh, 15 years ago making games on a TI-83 calculator. Wow. Has it been 15 years already? Wait. How old are you now? Yeah, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, just to remind it, it's 2017. The PS2 yeah, is oh, now geez. a retro compute, uh, console, so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I can't believe it. Yeah, anyways, I got my start making games on a, a TI-83. Um, just like little basic text quest type things. Uh, and then I was in the Flash arena for a while, making stuff on Flash and uploading to Newgrounds. Um, uh, Arachnid started when, um, so a, a concept I had before this, which was called Ballpoint Universe, um, it started with that, and that's where I met Jacob, and we, uh, this was my first time working in Unity, and we started working together there, and that's kind of the birth of the company. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah that's pretty much where... It was college where I started making games for real. Uh, I started like the first in uh, doing uh, triggers and custom apps for Warcraft 3, which kind of wet my tooth for programming. My background's not in, in any computer science. I kind of had to pick it up as the college went along because I actually went to, a, uh, I went, to for, I went to a college for art. And as art for games and art for industry, at like any kind of video industry and so yeah nobody knew how to program and so i just tried to pick up programming as best i can as over the as the years went by then towards the end i hooked up with leo for ballpoint universe uh we finished that and then moved on to deluvian as our second title so you said you did some modding for warcraft 3 what, what did you make of dota then i mean is it, is it a thing that you encountered while <laughs> you were in that in did you get involved with that I oh mean, god 
No, Walmart. I was never involved. I was never involved with Dota in that way. But I did no. uh, pick up Dota. I didn't pick up Dota directly. It was Heroes of New Earth first, and then I moved right. over to Dota Two once that was good. But no, I play that religiously. <laughs> I've said so, something, uh, haven't I? Oh God, Mopers. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's, it, we'll, we'll come on yeah, to that. Yeah, here's the word. Yeah, always playing it and watching it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I. It's, it's a weird game, but we'll talk about it later. We'll delve into. Um, but I do find it. Uh, it's quite common that that question is answered in a similar fashion. Um, typically, but oh yeah, I started modding or I started doing flash games. Um, yeah. The only difference I find is that when I have uh, older guests on, they said, "Oh yeah, I started making games on a Commodore 64 when I was a fetus." <laughs> you know, you know like, oh yes, I was coding machine code as they called it then, or as assembly yeah. as we call it now. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. when I was like, you know, three. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's quite quite scary, but uh, no, it's uh, it's it, it, it's a real well trodden path. I'm sure you've encountered it yourselves. That you know, messing around with other people's stuff is the best way to learn. Um, Absolutely, yeah, I, would, I would argue that most of Deluvian, most of our code is, is us messing around with other people's code to learn and figure it out. And also, then uh, extrapolating on it. Yeah, and also to critique it, because you think, oh, that's the best way to do it. Then a few months, maybe years later, you go, that was a terrible idea, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know, definitely. It's, yeah, it's happened so many times during development. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's been where, three years, like, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, what were we thinking? It's, um, I do say this to people, and it's a bit of an odd phrase, but I say it a lot. Um, is that uh, the creative process is very destructive. Um, You make a lot of things that never see the public light of day. (laughs) You know, you and your colleagues and others, they see it, but it never goes out the, the office door because... It's it just never worked. It doesn't might work not work for the project you're working on. Might work for something else, but not right what you're working on. And right. it's a very very destructive process. And I I chuckle when people look at me. And go, what do you mean by that? Well, you know. And uh, yeah, on a much lesser level, I, I, pl- I run a lot of uh, role playing games. So um, there's some commonality, and I'm having to create worlds or create environments and. Some of the stuff go. That's a nice story, but it's not going to work in this one. <laughs> it doesn't work. Right. So I'll I'll park that for something else. Um, so okay. So the next question is a bit of an anonymous one, and it's difficult to to encapsulate. I've been trying to ask it in a way that's not facile or too open, but I'll, I'll try it anyway. The question is: You're you're creators of things. I've already mentioned this obviously. So. What do you believe you find you're most influenced by as creators? I'll just... Uh, Jacob, you can go first like, on this one. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, by what... I mean... Exactly. By what do you mean, uh, like, people, genres, Yeah, um, you, you've created something. Anything. What do you yeah. find... The way I phrase it is, what do you find you're orbiting the most? Whether you like it or not, you find yourself... Whatever you're doing, eventually rides back to that not single point, but single thing that you find yourself drawn to more than anything else. I guess it's just other games. I think just uh, I've played like an ungodly hours amount of games in my life. <laughs> like I started playing when I was five years old. I think it's just been 
uh, it's a part of my life the whole since I can remember pretty much and so it's always I'm always drawing inspiration almost just from games directly right uh, but kind of not in a way where I just do it like where I think about it I'm just gonna do a game exactly like another game but more I kind of now I'm seeing what's happening behind the surface more and I was kind of seeing that fairly early on even before I started getting into games myself where I would understand kind of why creators would be doing the things that they're doing I kind of understand like what the meta game of uh, design was happening <clears throat> but yeah I think I'm just drawn to that that wholeness of, of games I don't know it's really hard to question the answer indeed and I, I, I do it's the other answers I've had is um, certain genre of film or or an actual author or text that they've been inspired by drawn to uh, a place in the world that kind of stuff it's just um it's just really yeah. what gets your creative juices flowing more than anything and other people's work is perfectly valid of course it is and it's a it's yeah. a common answer yeah and that's the thing like i was trying to think of a, a certain genre or a certain like yeah yeah, there's a certain something, but it's not really anything in particular. Mm. I think like I, I kind of like ping pong, like a little bit ADD between all kinds of genres. Uh, but I guess like uh, most often it would be like fantasy or sci-fi, like anything within those two realms that I read the most or watch the most or play the most games of. There is a fascination draws to the, the post-apocalyptic because people think, "What has happened if we wipe the slate clean and see what happens? We rebuild." And clearly, that's what a lot of, about Deluvion is about in the manner of speaking not to give away too much uh, yeah. and uh, there, you know there's, there's definitely a sense of desolation almost even though you're in the ocean uh, it is a desert it's odd it's odd right yeah uh, exactly yeah. yeah it's like yeah, the ocean is the ocean is kind of a desert it is uh, that was yeah. one of the one of the things that we wanted that I wanted to capture more of but I don't feel like we did enough was kind of like the the bottom of the ocean like what's called the abyssal plain right which comprises most of our world like i think it's like 70 percent of our world is just like this endless desert it's just sand and this is like a slight slope going from continental plates and then down to the abyssal trenches and it's just there's so much of it in the world but uh yeah it's exactly as you describe it. it's a black desert completely lightless yeah Yet filled with water, so we don't yeah, equate filled. that with with desert. Like, no, doesn't have exactly. to be, you know, the Sahara, right? The Sahara hasn't got a monopoly on deserts, all right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not even close. <laughs> There's a lot of them in China, actually, not man-made. I hasten to add. Um, what about you, Leo? What what gets your juices flowing? Uh, I. I'm sure this is like a common answer, but I think nostalgia is a big part for me. Like, um, I'm usually drawn to the types of things that I'm nostalgic for. So, um, like, a lot of that is either like music or like the types of games or shows that I watched growing up. Where um, I was definitely a big fan of like RPGs in the early 2000s, 
just kind of like the the early PS2 era in general was very influential for me. Okay, okay, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it was a great time there. I remember being in the audience at E3 when they announced the PS2. That's how old I am, and uh, <laughs> still remember sitting there going, "Oh wow, look, that's a that's a actually that's not that." Oh, hang on. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, and uh, yeah, it wasn't as entertaining as the PS3 launch. You need to watch that again. It's quite funny. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, yeah, PS2 uh, launch was kind of an interesting, colourful train wreck. It was. It was an amazing train wreck. Hubris, was ever there was it. But anyway, yeah. Um, most great answers. Thank you very much. So the next question is even more difficult to answer, not because it's hard to, it's because you don't hurt anyone's feelings. That is, what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Hmm. Mm. <laughs> okay, so I know this is going to sound weird, but I, I, I have two. Um, That's fine. Sorry? That's fine. You can have more than one. You know, it's, the question sort of structured as if it's only one, but you can have more than one, of course. Uh, yeah, one of them is Phil Fish. And uh, I just have a great amount of respect for what he did with Fez. Um, I thought it was... Like, that's one of my favourite games just in general i think it's just such a fantastic game it's brilliant it is absolutely brilliant i agree uh magnificent piece and, of work really is yeah i mean just when you i guess i i know all this from like indie game the movie about like all the drama with his uh like co-founder or whatever the partner on the game and just like everything that was going on as in his life at that time was not great so I think just being able to create such an amazing game despite all that um, is quite a great accomplishment. Um, that being said, I know he's not not so popular on Twitter <laughs> or just in general. No, he's, uh, he's launched a uh, one-man crusade against uh, well, everyone, really. So it's very strange. Yeah, yeah. and I, I feel like that's we're not getting the full story there, and I'm sure no, that, like, no. if if you were to sit down with him at lunch or whatever, then you would get more of the full spectrum and idea of that. But yeah. I, I, I've kind of withheld judgment after seeing his uh, tantrums and stuff. I'm just like, eh, yeah, but it's Twitter. And <laughs> Twitter's meant for tantrums. Yeah, apparently the... <laughs> President of the United States has a great time doing that. So yeah, no, yeah, it's, yeah. Le it's legitimate now. Yeah. It's absolutely the space. <laughs> Sad. Uh, my, anyway, yeah. my other favorite developer yes. is Shigeru Miyamoto. Well, there it is. Yes, of course. And uh, it's it's for the simple fact that he seems to have more fun than anyone else in the industry like, making and playing his games. He just has, like, he's so ecstatic in every appearance he's in. He's just, like, constantly smiling. And I think that's something to aspire to, because he's just, like, enjoys the craft of making games so much. 
get some joy from one's work. That's really important. Um, you can tell when uh, something's been churned out, can't we? Once any names or describe what we're talking about, and when something's sort of uh, just squeezed out like a sausage factory, uh, it uh, doesn't uh, it doesn't gel. But you're right; these games are yeah. full of joy, aren't they? They are genuinely full of joy. Um, yeah, and it like I don't know how I, don't, I really don't know how he does this. I gotta like look into it or like do a breakdown. But like most games are divisive like you have people that like them and people that don't mm-hmm. i've never met someone who doesn't like mario brothers like the original mario brothers like um like it, it's crazy like i was in a like i grew up in north carolina in like a very farmy type of area and um i remember like being at a it was like a horse show and there was like a barn and the barn was full of like rednecks, and I, I just remember feeling like I have nothing in common with these people. And then I saw an NES, and we all kind of like <laughs> there was like an NES with a couch, and like everybody was down to play Mario Brothers. Like it doesn't matter what background you're from, it's it's just like a magic. Like it draws people. It's it. Uh, so that's. It, why I respect him. Yeah, it's a, it was a, a side note, really. But here in the UK, we didn't really have... Well, we did have it, but we came really late. And uh, all the games ran about 15% slower because of the TV signal. So <laughs> we didn't... Oh. Yeah, because of power back then, because we had more lines on our screen, so everything went slower. I mean, for example, the tune for Sonic, when I hear it on the original NTSC, I go, uh, that's not right. The... the no, the tempo is all wrong. So we've got the slow jazz version. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, honestly, I play it back to American friends or friends from NTSC regions and go, "What the hell is that?" It's like this is how you play the theme tune to Sonic. It's just just slightly slower. Uh, so and it's um, but so for me, I discovered um, Mario much later on. Because I didn't, we didn't in UK didn't really grow up with him. Um, it mm. was other machines, other things, and uh, with that, there's a bonus because you have a because you're slightly older, you can appreciate things in a different way, not more, but in a different way. And mm. uh, the design of them and the the layout is just exquisite, just exquisite. Yeah, so, yeah. It was beautiful stuff. What about you, Jacob? What, any uh, particular? Developers you'd like to shout out, maybe Blizzard, on a sense of things. I don't really. I've only like recently. I've started actually looking into the people behind games, uh, maybe because I feel like I'm actually approaching a point where I'm putting out stuff that I feel is worth putting out. I don't know. This is a weird way to put it, but I feel I'm feeling more and more proud of my own work and. And I realize I'm a person behind my games, and so there must be other people there too. Uh, so I guess like the only the one that I've most recently like read about and uh, that I've been playing a lot of the game is yeah we're talking about Dota 2 Ice Frog. And so I've, I've looked more into like Ice Frog's history and like how he supported the mod in the Warcraft three days and uh, how he was running the the 
the page. I mean, not him alone, of course. No. But he's kind of the one who's ended up sticking with it, right? Yeah, I just think it's a wonderful thing that... I remember playing Warcraft 3 back in the... You know, way back when it first came out and marvelling at... Hang on, I need to care about this particular unit? Why? It's an RTS. Mm. I don't care. Right. I mean, unless it took ages to build, I don't care. But all of a sudden, it, you had to. And you, it, gave, yeah. it gave the units a personality. They were no longer... Just some, you know, sloshing about a bunch of numbers because that's ultimately right. what the RTSs came to be. Just one spreadsheet versus another spreadsheet, and that was fine. Um, but uh, it's probably a bit cool to say that, but ultimately that's what they became. And uh, Blizzard came along, and gave it a personality. So for them, right. for them to then so go, well, hang on, hang on, let's really draw them out. Let's really make them the only unit you actually control. <laughs> right, <laughs> and, exactly. And it's just yeah, it's a natural evolution. When we look back on it, but at the time it was just you know bonkers. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I feel like like I guess like my main reasons is uh, like why I would want to like learn more about Ice Frog and kind of look up to that guy is just kind of the way Dota was developed. It's been over ten years now on the same game. It's very rare you have a project that you can keep working on or a game you can keep working on for so long and, and like actually iterate on it in in a good way. And it's showing now because you're seeing, like, what should be impossible. Like, they're almost seeing like this balanced game between two sides. That's an asymmetric map, asymmetric teams, uh, an asymmetric like in you know, wildly unbalanced characters that all kind of like starts working. It's actually like working in a balanced way. Like people are playing the stuff for millions of dollars now. It's it's a serious thing. It is. And the yeah. the main thing from that I think is just. The way that him and the people that I was working with him would take uh, feedback from the forums, because like it's just half of the game is pretty much been designed by the community throughout the years. Like most of the heroes have been suggested by the community, and so like taking that feedback in a like in a masterful way and then implementing it to make something that just is yeah absolutely fantastic. And it's continuing like so. It's some kind of method, and I hope he writes a book about it one day or like we get to some insight into like how that process has changed over the last 10 years but I think it's extremely fascinating how that's developed over the years I think the key in my opinion, you may disagree but I think the key to MOBAs not just Dota but MOBAs in general is that the player is not the centre of the universe Right. they are but one part of a whole and you have to as frustrating as it is yeah, yeah. and you have to buy into that you're just a, a, a very powerful and important part of an army. Uh, and uh, you have to share that responsibility with everyone else. So when someone says, go there or go here, you assess whether that's a or wise decision. <laughs> yeah. And then secondly, you do it or you don't and give reason to. Or what, it's just, it is split second timing now in the upper levels. But uh, yeah, mm. I just find, I think that's one of the appeals is that I believe is that because it's one of those rare games, video games, where the player is not the focus of everyone's attention. Mm. It's actually, you have to share that responsibility with others. Right. And I think, or at least you're supposed to not be the focus of everybody's attention. But yet, yeah, everybody, the main the conflict is that everybody still is playing it like they are, exactly. or they want to be. That's right. And yeah. well, the, reason, the reason I understand it is to be is that the, the, the AI creed, AI-controlled ones, they're the ones doing most of the damage. They're the ones doing most of the work. 
You're just, right. you know, ultimately, if you do the numbers, it's the creepers. Sorry to use these terrible terms, everyone, if you're not familiar with MOBAs. But basically, yeah. these are enemies, Not these are units that automatically spawn and just keep going and do their thing. Yeah. And you just basically facilitate them. You enable them. You make them stronger, etc., etc. But you, ultimately, yeah. you're just, you know, causing chaos and disrupting the other side to make sure that your army, if it's what it eventually is, does its job. And yeah. uh, that that frustrates people because like, hang on, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm playing a video game. I'm number one, right? Right? No, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> and that's 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 hard. That's a hard nut to crack. And I have played many many mobas, and uh, it's a uh, it's a thing. So uh, yeah, thanks, definitely. Thanks for sharing that. So yeah. um, unless you have any more developers you want to crow about, I've got one more question for you. In the first um, half. I mean, I'd shout out to I'd like I'd shout out to like Miyazaki, who's behind Dark Souls. But I mean, oh. uh, I, I don't know enough about him or the team to like really go into it. No, but, uh, I, just by through the game itself, I feel like that's a brave set of choices and a brave game to do. I remember going to Gamescom maybe four or five years ago now, and he was showing off Dark Souls, the sequel to Demon Souls. Right. Uh, it's that old, uh, and uh, he was very um, sort of like very unsure about what he'd made, <laughs> mm. and he was very uh, humble. And like, do you like this? Is this any good? He's like, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that's exactly. I feel like that's exactly the we were about our game too. Yeah. We were <laughs> trying a bunch of stuff that not really people had tried before, and then I'm still not sure if it was the right decision. But we're gonna continue. Like taking feedback and hopefully do something about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly that humbleness is key. Yeah, and he was that's, that's he, good to hear. He was really sort of he was dead. He had no ego at all. He's sort of like you're showing this stuff off and he's going, is this, this any good? It's honestly, it's like yeah, exactly. I don't know. Is this any good? <laughs> and we didn't know how to respond. Like, um, uh, yes, <laughs> it's very, very, very good. <laughs> you know, and yeah. it was very, it was very disarming because you know. It, to, to encounter someone with uh, creative talent such as he with no ego like mm. wow it's quite extraordinary well very little ego no ego would be psychotic but you know little yeah exactly yeah. when it came to the creation of his game I should say that he, he didn't have much he was just saying yeah. is this okay I don't know it seems to be the right thing to do and now they're making a board game about it anyway <laughs> yeah. so I think I think it's a, mildly successful um, yeah for sure for sure so the last question in the first half is something I have to ask because you know we're talking about video games on a podcast, so I have to ask this: What are you playing right now? Uh, I'm on uh, vacation. Oh yeah, you go ahead, Leo. Oh, I just finished Abzu. Right, that's the underwater exploration thing. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You'd think you'd be yeah, be tired so... of underwater games, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I couldn't not play it because it's like also like, hey, you, you guys doing underwater stuff? We're doing underwater stuff. Um, so I, I played through it, um, and it's a beautiful game, and there's there's scenes in it that are just like stunning like i just had to stop and appreciate like wow holy crap this is really cool 
Um, and of course, like it's the um, the name escapes me right now. The composer that did the music for Journey, so it's a beautiful soundtrack. Um, yeah, I, I I enjoyed it immensely, but at the end, I felt like with what was there, um, if if the story or if maybe the I, it's hard to talk about this without getting into spoilers, but there there is like sort of a story behind it. Um, there's there's no words or text or anything, but there's a story. I feel like if that had more thought or more, if the conveyance of that was better, then it the the game could have been like um like a milestone, like a the type of thing that you would remember. Um, like decades from now, but I don't know. I just feel like there was a lot of potential that didn't get met. I mean, that, despite that, I still enjoyed it immensely. Okay. Um, which funny thing is a similar feedback that we've gotten about our game. Huh. <laughs> a lot of people have like, like ah, there's like this potential that wasn't met, but there's still like parts that are good. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's interesting, like, you know, seeing it from the outside. And of course, as a, as a game developer, I totally understand, like, that there's stuff that happens during development that, like, you would have no idea if you're playing through it, but, um, uh, it still happens. So... Oh, I'm also playing Bravely Default. Okay, well, the first one. Yeah, the first one, um, which pisses me off. Okay, <laughs> I love this game. Right. I love it, but it pisses me off because you get to a point in the game where they say, okay, now play it again. Yeah. Like, literally, not like start a new game plus, but like, oh, we, we got teleported back in time. Now we need to do all this shit again. I'm like... <laughs> I've heard of filler. I mean, God. Wow. Yeah. It, and then, so I was talking to my friend about it because I, I haven't gotten through that part again. She's like, yeah, it does it two more times. I'm like, who? Why? <laughs> who decided this was a good idea? God, you can imagine a whiteboard meeting on that one. Got an idea. Why don't we have it so the player has to stop time, reverse it, and they've got to do it all over again? Who says yes? Yeah. <laughs> Hands up, everyone. Hey. <laughs> what? what? Do you yeah. want me to leave? Yes, yes, go. Leave. Jeez. And I, just, I don't understand. Like, this is a big time. Like, how. It, yeah. I don't know. I was just, like, enjoying the game so much up until yeah. that point. And I'm like, yeah. are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's almost like, okay, we're done now. But no, you still plug away because it's bravely the fool. Yeah, you've Damn already it. invested so much time in it. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> I have like 60 hours in that game at this very moment. Wow. Yeah, which oh, for geez. a DS game is quite a bit. That's, That's quite impressive. a bit, yes. Yeah, probably only second to Animal Crossing for me. Yeah, I gave up Animal Crossing because I realised that Tom Nook is evil. <laughs> <laughs> There's no winning. There's There's no Animal Crossing has a very like dark undertone of... of 
constantly being in debt. Yes, and it's not hidden. It's in your face. Yeah. Every time you walk into his... It's just like, are you going to kneecap me, Tom? Are you? Are you going to send your cousins out and kneecap me? Is that the idea? He never says it. Yeah. He never implies it. But there's this underlying tone of violence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it's, yeah. It, it's almost like this um, utopia, except it's, it's like a dystopia, because everyone is like this cute animal in a cute village. But then you realize, like, Tom Nook must have, like, loans from all the or yes. loans out on all these animals. Like, yes. he, <laughs> like he is, is this some kind of, like, parallel to corporate America and, like, our housing crisis? I, I think it could be. I'm not sure what role Tom Nook plays in all of that, but it's not good, whatever it is. Yeah. He doesn't own any, any money to anyone. Or does he? Does he? No. Is there like a bigger Tom Nook above d- d- him? No, because that doesn't. That's, that's the stuff of nightmares that I'd rather not entertain, Leo. <laughs> no, no, but like, <laughs> like there's, like Tom Nook wanted this village, and then there was a, a, like, ultra Tom Nook that was like, okay, yeah. I'll give you the village, but you owe me like a billion bells. <laughs> and that, the only way he can pay back those bells is by getting these like shark loans for all the. All the inhabitants. <laughs> I think we're reading way too much into Animal Crossing. But <laughs> well, it's probably like uh, some kind of Animal Crossing. Like next game is just about Tom Nooks buying islands from each other. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Tom like Nook you, Empire. Yeah, you play as a you play as a raccoon, and you're just like <laughs> trying to buy a bunch of uh, islands from a bigger raccoon. I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're working on it right now for the Switch. <laughs> It'll be fantastic. Great multiplayer game. Mm-hmm. You end up braining each other with your Switch consoles. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Jacob, what are you uh, distracting yourself with? Uh, I was playing a lot of Risk of Rain. I revisited that uh, after kind of like leaving it alone since uh, it first came out. Because I learned uh, a tr- neat trick in that game. That you can uh, add some modifiers to it. Uh, which allow you to play the game very differently. Like Sorry, which, which game is this? I think I get the name. Sorry. Sorry, Risk of Rain. Risk of Rain. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, like, kind of like the, the action roguelike game. Okay. Uh, a couple That came out like a couple of years back. Yeah. Uh, so I learned recently of a, of, a, of a new way to play it. I played through it a couple of times and I didn't think anything of it uh, until much, much later. Uh, but there's a way, apparently, usually... The items that drop are completely random, but you, there's a modifier you can add, which makes the game harder, but also lets you choose whatever item drops, like at any given time. Uh, and so with all the different characters and all these different items, you can then play through the game several times with different builds. You can specialize your characters to play in a different way, and it's very, it really revived the game for me. So I've, I've been having a lot of fun playing that now. I uh, do love that. It's the ultimate new game plus, that one, isn't it? When you go, oh yeah, she's yeah. a... Completely different way of playing this, and it's much more entertaining. Yay! Yeah, that happened to me with StarCraft as well, StarCraft 1. Uh, I met a Korean who taught me how to actually play StarCraft uh, after, like, messing around with custom games for, like, when I was, what, 12 years old when it first came out? I right. only used cheats because I didn't know how to actually manage my economy or play the game. No, it's right. It, it is, you know, it's like, oh, I just, whenever I play an RTS, I always turtle. I try not yeah, to. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to do that so much too. <laughs> just and even now, like it's still like my go-to strategy. I just like, exactly. feel like turtle. 
Yeah, it feels so hard to turtle. But then mm -hmm. I picked up StarCraft again and I learned how to play it and I actually like had a lot of fun for a long, long time, like relearning that game. Yeah. Uh, and then the other game that I'm also spending some time with uh, uh, is great for long trips is uh, Europa Universalis. Four? The latest yeah, four, one. yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's quite a, quite a thing, isn't it? It's quite, I mean, it I've is, been playing... It is um, quite a thing. Yeah. I've been playing Solaris, uh, with Stellaris, well, as yeah. you say, Stellaris, 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 which is made by the same people. It's it's good. Uh, there is some gaps to it, but I, I forgive it. Uh, yeah. I, I love my 4X space games. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, uh, I, I've, this is my like baby's first uh, 4X game for me, like going into Europa Universalis. And I guess Civ kind of counts because we're a big fan of Civ oh. Five. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Europa Universalis, I've been doing... Some of the harder nations, uh, like African nations, and like the ones that really try to like resist colonization, is like one of my favorite uh, like plays to do. I was, I was waiting for you to say, you know, you know, like Belgium. Yeah, that's pretty hard. Yeah, <laughs> Belgium to really. Yeah, I know. Sorry, no offense to Belgium listeners. Sorry, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're, yeah, to get to uh, what would it, insultingly known as third world countries. Yep. Uh, we shouldn't call her that. No one calls her that anymore. But uh, yeah, it's um, yeah. I can. I can. It's great to sort of dive in and say, you know, I want to challenge. I could easily yeah. be, you know, the, the want. It's it's so easy to go. Oh, I'll just be France, or I'll be England, or I'll be you know, because it worked. Because yeah. you just follow the tactics yeah, they yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. Like your starting point is so strong that it's not that hard to do. No, you could almost yeah. just let it go running on itself, and like, oh look, I just conquered North America. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's strange. Which, that didn't ever happen, yeah. did it? No. I, I, I had a good run with the Incas, actually, building the Inca Empire. Right. Starting in, like, Peru. Because uh, you, you actually, geographically, then you have some time until the Europeans show up. That's right, yeah. Uh, so if you play your cards right, you can, you know, you'll have to mercilessly, like, slaughter and take over pretty much every other tribe to be able to build yourself a big enough. But then at least you can resist yeah. the invaders. Until you get yeah. wiped out by smallpox. Exactly. I like that. <laughs> Which is yeah, that, I like that. I like that brutal the that brutal game. I guess I just like brutal games like that because I'll I'll get playing and I'll get like two hundred years in and then like I'll just fuck up majorly and then I'll, <laughs> I'll be like yeah, it's like you put your this head in close hands. to starting everything. Yeah, yeah, you just put your head in hands. Yeah, well, that was a thing that happened. Yeah, should have saw that coming. Thanks, history. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a pop-up. It's like, come up. And it's like, you are fucked. <laughs> it's like, okay. And the other one's okay, but I'm sad. You know, it's a couple of, you know the First World War? Yeah, it's kind of like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know the whole thing that's never happened? Yeah, that. That. Yeah. Should have checked the wiki. <laughs> and on that note, we'll move mm -hmm. on now. To the second half of the show where we delve deep. No pun intended. Sorry. To <laughs> 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 Deluvian.
So, gentlemen, please. This is the zeroth question. It's not really a question at all. It's your time to pitch us, Deluvian. What is it? Deluvian's uh, underwater adventure. Um, it's a submarine fantasy inspired by Jules Verne, where you and your crew try to get to the deepest point in the ocean. That's Down the infinite I... corridor. What? Down this corridor thing. The endless yeah, the corridor. Endless corridor yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, so this is not a spoiler, but the endless corridor is this trench that's like the deepest trench in the ocean. Um, and what what you actually find in there is a spoiler, so I'm not going to talk about that. No, it's a it's a turkey sandwich. No, it's not. It's not. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a six inch subway sub. <laughs> oh. I you were literally floating ideas around, like, how, how can we get Subway on board with this? Like, yeah, yeah. What kind of promotional stuff can we do? Because, you know, money, money is great. Money is great. And he said, well, the ultimate aim is a six-inch sub with whole wheat. Is it whole wheat or a nine grain? We'll do the nine grain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone likes that one. Mm-hmm. Um, no, in all seriousness. So it is, um, you did a reasonable job, but I would, if I may sort of pitch in as well, it's more... Well, it doesn't... I mean, I wasn't prepared for it. It's actually completely open world. You can go pretty much where you want. Uh, you will get killed if you do things uh, that your your boat isn't capable of, i.e. don't delve too deeply, at least initially. Of course, you can upgrade and things, because it is a, a, a pure open-ended sandbox game in this complete exploration. You can go where you like, do what you like, etc. Uh, in this, may I say, claustrophobic feeling world, because it does feel if the, the 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 water's crushing in around you all the time. So, and I'm not sure if it's what your intent was, but it's definitely feel that at any minute, any second, something horrific's going to happen, <laughs> and it does. And yeah. uh, it's it's every time I I declamp myself from another object, whether it be another boat that i just blew up or uh, an installation of some sort i think okay what i'm gonna ram into now (laughs) yeah so yeah i was i just didn't know what to expect from it i mean the way you describe it until i actually played it and saw it moving myself and saw screenshots and watched videos as well i just like i fell in love with it i thought this is just just because i love um, my first, my favourite games of all time is Elite. Right. Um, and I just, you know, when I was sort of 14, 13, uh, it's when it came out, perfect age for that game because you're just exploring the universe uh, right. on my friend's BBC computer because I didn't have one because I wasn't, you know, middle class. And like he was. And <laughs> and uh, so he and we sat there for hours just playing this extraordinary game flying through the universe. And it's the same feeling when I get with with this, with with Deluvion, is just that you just deep unclamp, and then off you go. You know, right. and you, I just love the fact you you go down trenches and you go down and you see this extraordinary wildlife down there, isn't there? There's all sorts of things. There's the fish that sort of um, cloud around you and 
actor's breadcrumbs to go into where to next place because it is so fast you could lose yourself very very easily yeah and this leads me on to my first design question and it's a bit I sort of thought about this a lot and I kept on rewording it and ultimately came out to this very blunt question so apologies but I wanted to ask you about because this is a under the sea uh, game you're, you're completely submerged you're controlling a sub um, with a crew We'll talk about them later. But how did the control, uh, the control scheme evolve for you? Uh, of the sub. Jacob, do you, yeah. Which one of us should answer? No, I, I can start. Because I mean, cool, yeah. the first thing that kind of happened, it's, it's funny you bring up Elite because uh, we... Our initial discussions were that, uh, well, at least uh, we were discussing that we loved Freelancer. Yes. Which is uh, similar in many ways to Elite. And like space games and like that kind of open space going from station to station, systems driven game. Uh, but then, you know, Elite Dangerous was coming out and also uh, Star Citizen was like making big headlines. And so <laughs> we're kind of thinking like, yeah, you know, that's probably not who we should compete with with our, with our studio size. Uh, so then we're just thinking about submarines. Like that's the, was something that hadn't been really done before. This kind of underwater setting that we could probably do something like that with submarines instead. And so the control scheme came from just that. Just like okay, let's see what a submarine feels like. And so I took two capsules, one large and one small, and then I put one stuck one into the other. Uh, and then I put some squares up as rudders and just started scripting something out to make it to start filling it out. So, I mean, uh, I, I think, you know, you, you, it's just the actual control of the ship. It feels just like you've got a, um, a forward propulsion or a reverse propulsion, and then you right. just simply steer it based on... It sounds strange, listeners, but really, you you, you don't use uh, really the joysticks or the, or the thumbsticks uh, to propel the, the ship. You just use those to steer it. The propulsion is by the shoulder buttons. And right. uh, I found that really fascinating. I'm just—is it something that came early on, or is it did it evolve into this thing? Because I just think it's just—I think that was pretty early on. Yeah. Yeah. I can't yeah, really remember. Throttle. Yeah, the throttle. I think the throttle was very early. Yeah. Cause yeah. That was just me trying to model after like actual submarines. Like that was the inspiration point. Was just like kind of like imagining that steamboat kind of. Click 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 thing like set the you tell the engines man like okay engines at this much speed and then because you're not really you're not in the helm yourself it's not like a spaceship that you have the throttle and the steering wheel and all the stuff ahead of you you're telling your crew to move it forward instead you're the captain you're not the helmsman no that's right you have a helmsman you have sonar you have gun gunners as well and yeah. other people when you sort of upgrade your ship or different ships and things. Um, and I, again, I don't want to delve into too much. Sorry, there it is, that word, sorry. Um, don't want to go into too much about that, but because there's so much to explore and discover, and it just keeps on giving. It's definitely a game that the more you put into it, it, it gives back tenfold, and that's that's quite mm. a thing. Um, so, yeah, it's just a little bit, a little bit hard to get used to because you're used to one stick controls movement, you know, the thrust, right. and the other one steers, whereas you're saying, no, that's not how it works at all. 
it wouldn't work anyway. It's in this 3D space. I want you to propel yourself and then to steer. And uh, I love the fact that the one stick can use your aperture, or not aperture, but the, the altitude, even though it's not altitude, or depth, I should say, right. where you just go move up yeah. and down. I find myself, it's so satisfying. Go into a spot, you realise that where you want to go is actually way below you, you just drop. <laughs> and it's just really, it's just so well done. It just feels very satisfying when you sort of hover over something and drop down. Uh, so you've been playing the latest iteration yes, of it, I, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that that's actually very recent. Okay. Uh, where where it's been changed around uh, a little bit, at least in its final configuration. But yeah, the throttle was an early thing. Right. But just uh, yeah, it's been many many iterations, and Leo kind of took over more of the the game feel for that. So you could probably explain some more. Okay, Leo, do you want to delve a little bit more? Sorry, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've heard so many puns. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. It'll never end. Yeah. Um, so one of the okay so you know that Jacob is like very um, good at and very into like technical games where it's it's very like deep and complex like Dota or like Dwarf Fortress um Whereas I, on the other hand, am very into games that are simple or, like, very approachable. <clears throat> um, so I I kind of wanted, throughout development, I wanted to make sure that the sub didn't start to feel like a Silent Hunter type of, like, complex sub-simulator. Because uh, ultimately, that's not what we were going for. We were going for, like, the fantasy and just sense of exploration and uh, I didn't want the sub to like get in the way of that it's a good point uh, yeah so do you modified things to avoid turning into does boot yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, the initial control scheme that the game released with was actually modeled on the uh, the Warthog from Halo, where you're uh, with the difference, obviously, of the throttle not being the joystick, but um, the sub would just point to where you're looking, and then you could use the the left stick or the A and D keys to strafe, like to move it side to side. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when we <laughs> we released this. And immediately got a ton of feedback that, like, no, don't, no, give me another control scheme. Um, so, like, our reviews were suffering from from this. Like, uh, this and the camera were, like, the two big things. So it went back in and did, like, a really fast, like, late-night patching. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I read about that. We, well we, done. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We we gave the option to uh, let it the steering of your sub be independent from the camera, um, which I feel like is is still very arcadey feeling. It doesn't get to be too complex, and a lot yeah. of people prefer that version. Um, but yeah, it, I guess it's, I just wanted the sub to feel natural to control, 
Like, uh, and in in that sense, it controls absolutely nothing like a real sub would. Yeah. Um, because a a real sub would have a turning radius of like half a mile. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it would it would take forever to come to a stop. But we were just <laughs> yeah, like, they eh, like yeah. I'm gonna stop. Gonna be yeah. Well, eventually, about you know an hour. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Plan your like, game carefully. Yeah. <laughs> Plan your runs really carefully. Really carefully, and yeah. Yeah, like there's yeah. there's a wall a mile ahead. You should throttle down now. Yeah, but yeah, you, you can suspend your disbelief, and also you. You set it in a strange little world that you can do weird stuff like that where physics that we're used to probably don't apply, yeah. and that's fine. Yeah, exactly. That's fine. Yeah, and like it would allow. It, we already broke a lot of things, like putting windows on submarines and glowy bits and, and glass out in the open, even on deep places. So yeah, well, it worked know, for the abyss, so you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that's a, yeah, but it's, it's it was never meant to be like a hardcore sub game. Uh, although kind of when I I think like that's kind of like the point of this whole tirade is that it starts with me being like borderline autistic about do making things like hardcore or making them like simulator like or taking like a lot of inspiration from real life, and then Leo comes in and tones it down and makes it like actually playable and mm-hmm. a better game pretty much. <laughs> well, I think the uh, this has been something for our studio and like the magic that happens comes in the point of conflict between me and Jacob. Um, because when I design a game by myself, it's like a running simulator. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it, it just doesn't have much depth to it, right? And um, I feel like if, if I left Jacob in a room for a year and said design a game, he would make like a, like a planetary dwarf fortress like no no graphics like a like a spreadsheet type of thing <laughs> it's great that dwarf fortress is now video game shorthand for impenetrable nightmare it's just yeah yeah okay <laughs> it's amazing um, well it's like a hidden compliment because to the people that actually understand the wall of text code that they're looking at like it's supposedly one of the best gaming experiences like it's really rewarding um and then there's the rest of humanity <laughs> um, <laughs> who can't yeah. get past that barrier for fear of yeah. being uh, burnt down by dwarf fortress fans let's move on to the next question mm-hmm. navigation is via a series of static maps with key um sort of uh, landmarks on it why did you choose this method for navigation? Uh, that was actually one of the impenetrable, uh, crazy ideas that I, I wanted to push, and that actually one of the I didn't fight for a lot of things, but that was one of the things that I wanted to fight for. Okay. Uh, and, and the main idea was that I, I hate waypoints the way that they're implemented in most popular RPG games or like large open world games. Okay. I think it makes sense, like in, in uh, Grand Theft Auto, like we use GPS. Like sometimes you, they can be like a tool that you have in the game. Mm. But I noticed very quickly in, say, Skyrim, uh, that I would spend most of my time just kind of like checking the compass and taking my attention away from the world and taking my attention away, only looking 
uh, towards this one little dot on the little flat compass thing onto which direction it's supposed to be going and not really thinking or putting any like uh, uh, any thought into like what I was actually doing at the moment. You scale like, over there, a mountain, wouldn't you? You'd actually scale yeah, over yeah, a yeah. mountain. Yeah, just like, um, yeah, because the horse would do that, yeah. right? So I don't even need to really be paying attention. I just like, I like just go straight up the thing. Like, okay, good horse, and I would get there very efficiently, and it'd be good. All terrain, mount, you know, mountain goat thing. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And, and so the uh, and I'm Norwegian, hence me being in Norway at the time, and so I, I did a, quite a bit of sailing when I was young, and like sailing over any distance, you use a compass. Right, uh, and so and like using a map for orientation and just kind of like you have to kind of figure out where you need to go without magically seeing where you need to go, like without a GPS or without seeing yourself on the, mm-hmm. on a map. Right. Yeah. And so that's the idea for that, like that you have these unique features that you learn about that the world has learned about, and they mark them down on maps, and then you use the compass and some logic and some problem solving for the rest. My next question then uh, deals with uh, resources. There's a constant sense of having to manage resources when travelling around. How have you found balancing risk-reward using these resources? Uh, Some of our players would argue that we haven't. Ah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's... And I... I don't think it's fully there. I feel like it's mostly there. Um, this is why I want to talk because I get a sense that it's it still needs some development. That's why I want to draw out of you to, to explain what thought processes yeah. you're doing to to work on it. Because you're right, it does need some work. Not much because I think it's almost there, but it can feel like well, I can't go there. Why? Because my people are starving. You know, it's just like, yeah. there's no means to get any food anywhere. You know, and uh, but yeah. So so what are you doing there to 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 address it? Uh, we, in our latest patch, um, we adjusted the balance of the air tanks, um, because a lot of people had the issue of it becoming too aggressive, um, where basically the way the air tanks worked is like every crew member you added, your, your air consumption would increase a little bit. Um, it wasn't like... It wasn't like one tank per crew member, but it was like you would get a certain added percentage for every crew member you had. Uh, so people would just keep adding crew more and more, and then suddenly like their their tank is going down in like 30 seconds. And uh, they had never like purchased another air tank, so they're just like, what the hell, I can't get anywhere. Like, I... <laughs> um, so that was kind of the first thing that we went back and were like, oh, okay, we're going to balance this down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, for resources, I think a lot of that has to do with, like, um, like you mentioned food. I think a lot of that has to do with just working on the merchants that are in the world and, like, um, like some of the... Like, in the later zones, you can't really dock with the merchants that are just driving around. So, um, we're considering, like, having some extra shops in there. And, yeah, there's just stuff like that. Where, um, I feel like a lot of it's just population. So, my final question, then. Um, 
This deals with something that took me unawares once, because it breaks everything I understand about playing these uh, open-world sandbox games, is that um, I've always felt that when you change your view or you're looking at another aspect of the game, everything else stops. It's not the case with Deluvian. What I'm saying is when you access the, your sub... Uh, as you basically uh, in 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 um, your various sections where you've got your gunner, your 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 helmsman, etc. Um, time doesn't stop. <laughs> you just no. keep no. going, and so you can yeah switch. You can you can mess around with your crew, but you're probably going to collide into something if you <laughs> if, you're, if you're not in open or you've actually stopped your boat or whatever. Um, why? Why did you do that? I'm not complaining. I'm just I find it brilliant. But I just right. why did you do it? So the the sub actually does stop its engines, right? Yeah. But there's momentum. Yes. Yes. So if you go into your side view when you're like on a course towards a minefield, um, it's it's probably not the best choice. <laughs> not yeah. Don't. Yeah. Best not. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think the, the main idea was, uh, I think it was that we wanted it to be more, uh, to make a and d analogy, it was more, you play more like a wizard and less like a sorcerer, but you're uh, planning more ahead of time, uh, rather than like last minute changing and swapping crew around. Yeah. Because like the actual action of swapping crew around isn't, this, isn't very fun, like it's not a very rewarding experience, and so we want it to be more of a setup kind of thing, Yeah. rather than just... Uh, to optimally play and just swap them around for like in between every single shot, and then every time you like throttle, you swap them back again, right? The, the, that would be the other way. That's what would would be optimal play if you if time would stop. Uh, so it is more about just kind of like doing some planning and doing some before the the bad things happen. You can slow time down, can't you? Seem to remember there's yes. a, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's that ability that allows you to do that, but. I just wanted to talk about that because I found it fascinating because I played Elite, you know, when you dock, you do dock in real time, but you're, you're safe, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, but when you're out in the open, I'm talking about Dangerous here more than the original Elite, so yeah. um, it's more, people more familiar with it. It's, you know, it's, yeah, you, you're in danger, you're on high alert at all times, all yeah. times. And I do feel that with Deluvion, it says that when you go outside... I'm my my attention is completely focused on what is next to trying to chew my face off. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm talking of. Did you uh, have you been to the abyss zone? No, not yet. I'm I like poodling around and exploring the world as much as I can, and then go. I'm going to have to go down there eventually. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, I'm scared. Scared, gentlemen. I'm scared. Well done. Uh... Well done. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Speaking of things that will tear your face off. <laughs> right. Well, I'd love to talk more and more about the game, as you can hear in my voice, but we have time limited is against us, and uh, I have asked, I've asked you all my questions. So, right. well done for, for getting through. Yay. Um, <laughs> Deluvian's out. Can you tell us what it's out on, what it's planned to be out on? I mean, it's, it's out on Steam, isn't it? Yes. And which, uh, it's which... on Steam and GOG. Yes, and platforms. Is it Windows PC, of course. Is that it for the moment? Yeah, Windows and Mac. Oh, good, good. Uh, my, my laptop is back, so I'll probably take it with me when I fly off to PAX. Uh, 
Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good uh, it's a good long term game, and uh, yeah, my Mac seems to have a battery power of I don't know how it keeps on going, but it does. Um, so, Jacob, Leo, it's been fantastic having you on. Thank you very very much for sharing uh, your experiences of making uh, Deluvian and other things too. It's been really really good. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank it's you. It's been fun. Yeah, I'm glad you got something out of it. I know I did. And uh, like I said, I do wish you the best of luck with, with the game. And you're more than welcome to come back on to chat about what next is up on uh, next is up on your uh, radar. There it is! Hey! Sorry. Uh, <laughs> had to get out there. But, uh, Actually, sonar. Sonar, I know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. That's the, I'm now I'm ashamed yeah. because I realised I completely screwed it up. But uh, no, we're, we're happy to, to have you back on. But in the meantime, thank you very, very much. Thank you too. Thanks. And uh, yeah, man, take care. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com also don't forget to check out the computer game show which is the stablemate podcast shall we say of spong.com bye <laughs>